Hello and welcome to another episode of Everybody Hates Your Brand, the podcast for all things marketing. And this week, we've got a fascinating interview. So why not grab a cup of tea, coffee, or whatever it is you want to drink, and sit down and spend 25 minutes with me and my special guest. So we have a fantastic guest today. I am very lucky to be joined by Lucy Halley, Executive Head of Strategy at the agency Habas CX Helia. Welcome to the podcast, Lucy. Thank you for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. Um, as is tradition on this podcast, we start every interview with what I call the credibility section. And we have listeners from around the world. So it's, it's good that people understand who you are, your career, your experience, uh, and the sort of context and perspective from which you're talking. Um, so would you mind giving us a quick rundown of your of your who you are and your career and what you're, you're currently doing, please? Yeah, of course. Um, so as you say, I'm exec head of strategy for um, Havas CX Helia in the UK. So I've been uh, with Helia in London, uh, in King's Cross for about the past four years, and I recently took over responsibility for the strategy team out of our Siren Sester office as well. Um, so Havas CX Helia is one of the CX agencies in the Havas uh, network. And my background uh, before I joined Helia, I've worked in, you know, what were traditionally called direct marketing agencies or CRM or CX agencies for um, 25 years now when I did the maths on this this morning. Which it, is, is, <laughs> it is horrible when you start adding up, A depressing isn't it? Yeah. statistic. Mm. Um, so I've worked in agencies like EHS Brand, which has obviously grown up to become Havas CX Helia. So in fact, I've gone full circle during that time I worked at RAP for a period of time KitKat Nor, which went on to become Digitas while I was there and I've worked across a, a full range of different clients and different sectors everything from kind of fundraising to financial services and everything in between um, started my career in fact in uh, client services as an account manager before mo- moving over into the strategy department about 10 years ago. Thank you very much for that I think it's an interesting um you said something interesting there about direct marketing, the old days of direct mm. marketing. And and I, I still think that's a term that's wildly misunderstood. When people say direct marketing, they always think you mean direct mail. I was always brought up that direct marketing is anything that invokes a response, whether mm-hmm. it's TV or anything else. But as you say, it's kind of um, CRM has kind of morphed into different different names. And obviously you have, as you've articulated, CX in the title mm-hmm. of your agency. So when I look at what CX is defined as, it seems to not have a truly universal definition. You hear some people talk about UX, some people talk about customer service, some people talk about CRM. So how does Havas define it? Yes, it's a bit problematic, isn't it? It's used very differently <laughs> by different people. And in fact, yes. I was I think we're on the same journey that we were on when we shifted from direct marketing to CRM a number of years ago. I remember being at a, a kind of speed dating event for clients and agencies. Oh, um, those things are always fun. <laughs> Absolutely fun. Um, about 10 or so years ago. And, you know, kind of finding myself sitting alongside kind of technology companies, you know, people doing CRM uh, software, et cetera, and thinking, gosh, we do completely different things. Like, I yeah. think this can be quite right. And I think CX is kind of on a, a similar journey there. Um and, and it is tough, you know, because Havas created the CX network, bringing together all of our CX agencies a couple of years ago. And so we partner with other CX agencies in that network. But, you know, they're very differently shaped from us. So we partner with agencies like Invica, who do digital transformation, Gate One, who are our management consultancy, who do more sort of business transformation. Um, but Helia's flavor of uh, customer experience is 
it's really about creativity and it's about putting strategy data and creativity at the heart of what we do in creating more meaningful experiences for customers. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the important thing is, you know, that can happen wherever a customer shows up in a client's ecosystem. I think part of the problem is there had been a real kind of narrowing in the definition of CRM and CRM agencies were kind of increasingly getting pigeonholed as the email agency, which yeah. of course was never a true reflection of what we did no absolutely Um, but actually if you think about those words if you think about the words customer relationship management I still think that's really at the heart of what we do and you know as Mm. as a CX agency or as a CRM agency we're uniquely placed because I think we do have that understanding and the potential to really kind of own the customer and then thinking about how do we manage them through their journey how do we create those really meaningful experiences for them and you know ultimately kind of drive those value driving behaviors that a clients looking for so getting them to buy getting them to buy again getting them to advocate on our behalf etc cetera, etc cetera. um and you know we can do that wherever they show up across that ecosystem be it in digital channels physical channels i think the key thing for me is the ability to be able to you know kind of continue that conversation wherever they show up so it does feel you know consistent and coherent across all of those different channels and touch points and and so taking that kind of context that's a, a, a and I think by its nature, CX has to be a broad definition, mm. right? Because you're talking about, you said the phrase meaningful experiences, mm. whether that's digital in a retail environment, wherever it, wherever it may be. How has that definition worked with your clients' expectations? Or are clients on the same kind of path as you in the sense of CX is CRM, which is email marketing? Because like, obviously clients, a lot of clients have big silos and mm-hmm. retail doesn't necessarily talk to e-com and all that sort of stuff. So how has that worked when you're trying to sort of pitch that into a client? I think clients are probably largely on a similar journey to us. I, th- I think it does bring some additional complexity because if a client truly embraces CX, it can't be just a marketing effort. As you say, mm. it has to be a cross-organisational effort and it does require to kind of either break down or for people to reach out and work across those different silos in a client organisation. Um so that that can be um, tricky to navigate. And like, honestly, we've been on a massive learning curve. So when we take on a big CX engagement, you know, really identifying who are our kind of key stakeholders across the client organization and making sure that we engage them very early in that process mm. so that they feel that they've been listened to, they've been understood, and we take them on that journey with us. Um, because that's critical to success, not kind of presenting them with a kind of finished future state CX uh, Mm. at the end of a process and then them giving us all the reasons why it can't possibly happen. Um, So, yeah, I I think stakeholder management has become an increasingly important aspect of our role. And often, you know, clients rely on us to be able to join the dots across their organisation. I think often as an external agency, it's almost easier for us to do that um, than sometimes, you know, clients themselves find that quite tricky to navigate. Yeah, and I think there's things like different KPIs get involved and mm. different targets and, and and all that kind of fun stuff can can make it difficult. So if we talk about we talk about an, an experience then and a, a mm. defining a kind of meaningful experience, I mm. think the idea of expectations, customer expectations is kind of crucial in that equation. And I was looking at your own um 
proprietary meaningful brands research, mm-hmm. he says, reading from his script, so he remembers what to say properly, um, which shows 77% of respondents expect brands to make a difference to my life, but only 40% think that they do. Mm-hmm. And only a global average of 40% of consumers think the brands they interact with are, quote unquote, centered on their needs as a customer, according to your X-Index research. So mm-hmm. if you think about that as a seesaw, you can either lower expectations <laughs> or, or you can raise capability mm-hmm. to match expectations so first of all how do you figure out what the expectations a customer has of a brand are you know how do you figure out where their expectations are currently set yeah i mean i think it's really important for us that everything that we do as an agency puts customers front and center and there's a really you know, big focus on bringing together clients' own first-party data, third-party data sources we have available to us, proprietary research we have, you know, like meaningful mm. brands like the X-Index, et cetera, our loyalty framework, and, and using those things to understand where are a, a customer's pain points um, across an existing experience or, you know, where might the opportunities lie. And I think the, the real thing for me is I think there's no substitute to actually talking to customers um, in real life and I'm a massive fan and actually I don't think we do it enough as strategists but I'm a massive fan of strategists moderating their own qualitative research and really spending time with customers listening to understanding what's going on in their lives really walking a mile in their shoes um, because I think I think that's invaluable you know we also get it through um I, I, it's, 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 I think it's kind of terribly old fashioned now. I used to do it loads back in the day when I was working on, on British Gas at EHS Brand. Um, but we used to go and sit in the call centre in Uddingston and listen to the calls. And actually, that can be such a great source of insight. And I was saying to a client the other day, you know, can we come and can we sit and we listen mm. um, with some of your call handlers? Like, again, that's really invaluable to understand, you know, when stuff's going wrong yeah. and, you know, how that's being resolved. So I'll never I, see, so to interrupt you, I, I worked at Vodafone for yeah. odd years. A lot of time in call centers and i've it's hilarious you, you create a beautifully crafted product or proposition or something and it it crumbles so quickly mm-hmm. <laughs> in the face <laughs> of like, somebody at the other end of a call center in wherever they are trying to understand it, it you're absolutely i couldn't agree with you more on the call centers yeah. or working in a retail store is a great one as well and it's it's interesting actually at various points at Helia we've kind of described ourselves as the method actors of the CX world, and we have had a real focus of you know Starbucks as a client, and we've been and we've been baristas in a in a Starbucks for a day you know we've stacked shelves in tesco's mm. and I, I all of those things give you really really brilliant insight and again you know just back to my previous point about stakeholder management that isn't just about engaging senior level stakeholders so they clearly that's important but also you know if you're talking to people you know who are in the front line who are working in the stores who are manning the phones in the call centers they can give you such valuable insight into your customers and what's what's kind of going on in their lives i think the key thing for me though is that we can't rely on customers to um you know kind of solve those problems so we can we can talk to them to help identify pain points and opportunities but it's that classic kind of henry ford faster horse thing do you know what i mean mm. like customers don't know what the solve for those things is they can only you know refer to other sort of positive cx experiences they've potentially had with other brands out of sector that kind of thing so i think yeah. that's really where it's our responsibility to bring our cre- creativity and kind of really ideate around those problems and, and meet those and sort of imagine those new solutions that are going to meet or ex- exceed those customer expectations yeah and you made the point about expectations and, and other competitors mm. so if we think about how a brand sort of sets sets the right expectations in some ways and and 
and also then how is that thwarted in some mm-hmm. ways by the people who are the best, the best, you know, everyone, there's a, there's a great sketch. Ronnie Chang is a stand-up comedian. I talked about the other day. He talks about Amazon. He was talking about Amazon prime. Mm-hmm. And it was like, you know, soon it'll be Amazon before, you know, it won't be Amazon now. It'll be Amazon before. And, and so how do experiences set by competitors, do you think outside of a brand's category influence expectations and I, yeah. how to try and keep a, keep a lid on it in some way because people's t- capability amazon have built that over jesus 34 years yeah how do you kind of keep a lid on those expectations or manage them so i suppose to the first point like, i totally agree like we almost never just do competitor reviews now for clients mm. we almost always do comparator reviews as well because i think you know customers are having their expectations set by brands that are um, operating outside of the client's own sector and often you know we you know clients can look at their competitor sets and they might be working in a a sector where they actually the CX bar is set quite low and they can kind of congratulate themselves on doing a really great job but compared to compared to other brands that your customers are buying from like that might simply not be good enough you know your your customers want you know, the, the the transparency of an Uber and being able to see exactly where your cab is and when it's arriving, you know, they want the speed of an Amazon Prime. They want the, you know, the personalized content and experiences that Netflix offers. So I, I think it's 100% true um, that those, those kind of expectations are increasingly being set by brands operating out of the client's own sector. Um, and um yeah we, we we need to look more broadly about what what sort of constitutes the best in class customer experience in in order to kind of help clients understand that mm. um and then in terms of you know how kind of clients take that on and i i think one of the key things for me is that we don't overpromise and underdeliver and you sort mm. of you alluded to that meaningful brands research because i think that's where you see a lot of clients coming unstuck or a lot of brands coming un- unstuck it's that sort of gap between expectation and reality. Yeah. Um, I saw it a lot in the um, in the mobile phone sector when I was working on that and some of the kind of the bigger, more expensive providers, you have a quite a high expectation of service. So when that goes wrong, they've got a really long way to fall. Whereas some of the kind of cheaper or newer entrants to the market, there was less of an expectation of the service. And so when customers had a positive experience, you know, it was it yeah. was sort of heightened even further. So that that was really good. And I think, you know, like trust and transparency. I mean, they've they've probably been words which have been much overused uh by agencies and clients alike over over, you know, years. But actually I mm. think they are becoming increasingly important and particularly important for younger consumers. And yeah. I think, you know, being really open and honest when stuff's gone wrong is actually a really mm. good opportunity. Like if you can resolve that positively, it's a really good opportunity to turn a detractor into a promoter. And the example I always talk about is I had, and this is years ago now, but it's still such a great example. I had a really, really great experience with Carphone Warehouse where I'd bought a new phone and then they sent me a letter the next week saying, don't you hate it when you've bought something in a shop and then the next week you see it in the sale and attached a voucher for the difference in price. I wasn't even aware that the phone I'd bought was in the sale, but the fact that they'd kind of been front foot about it, the fact that they'd been really open and transparent about it and then had done something to put that situation right such a positive experience I didn't actually redeem the voucher but I've told Mm. so many people (laughs) over the years about this brilliant experience that I had with Carphone Warehouse so I I, I do think you know you know consumers are really smart they're really savvy and more and more so 
all the time. So you can't pull the wool over their eyes. I think you do have to be really, really open, really honest, really transparent, hold your hands up when things go wrong. But if you can put those things right in a, in a sort of good and constructive way, then you've got the opportunity to really kind of transform that relationship. Yeah. Someone to mention that price drop thing to Elon Musk, maybe. Who knows? <laughs> um, but I think the, the key word also there is consistency. Because mm-hmm. um, I've worked on brands where they've talked about being customer centric. I'm like, that's not strictly true, is it? Because customer centric, to my definition, demands some sort of sacrifice in a sense of, that sounds very dramatic, but in a sense of I'm going to sacrifice some short-term revenue potentially to do the right thing by my customer. And a lot of brands don't want to do that. And so when they then talk about being customer centric, you're like, no, no, you're Mm. not. Which is what Carphone Warehouse did was actually say, okay, maybe we're going to take a bit of a hit on this or we're going to, you know, but let's do it because it's the right, the right thing to do. And And that consistency is super important. Which then leads me to the the kind of next question around, what do you think are the biggest blockers then that stops a brand creating a customer experience that that meets those expectations and builds that trust over time? Yeah, I mean, I'm sure most people working in the CX CX agency would tell you the same thing at the moment. I do think like data and tech is still a massive blocker for clients Um, and clients, you know, all shapes and sizes. Like the number of times I've gone into a big client and thought, this lot are gonna have their acts together on this stuff. Yeah. And they really don't. Um, do. And often and often it's worse actually. Do you know what? Because they've got so much data and it's sitting in all of these kind of separate pots that are really difficult to bring together. They've got lots of legacy kind of technology systems that are sort of held together with sticky tape. Although I said this to another client earlier this week and she said, Lucy, that sounds great. Ours aren't even held together with sticky tape. They're not held together <laughs> at all. Um, sticky tape, yeah. <laughs> yeah, sticky tape would be a win. Um so you know I that that I I still think it's, it's a massive challenge and will continue to be so right for a number of years. But I think the key thing for me is that we don't allow that to hold us back in creating better experiences for customers. I think one of the really key things for me is at the outset of an engagement with a new client, we kind of go in and we understand accurately what is that data and tech landscape that we're sort mm. of working with um, and making sure that things we go on to recommend are practically applicable because there's nothing more frustrating for client or for agency yeah. than us going in and going like let's do all of this amazing stuff and then going yeah maybe in five years time Lucy but not not today so I think that kind of understanding is super important and then you know we try to be really pragmatic in our approach so you know, often there's kind of quick wins or there's workarounds that we can affect. Um, and so we can get something like that sort of target future state experience live and it, mm. and we can do that relatively quickly. And it helps us to kind of prove the efficacy of our approach of what we're recommending. It yeah. builds trust and confidence across the client organization. And then we can sort of ladder towards the ideal solution over time as that kind of data and tech piece you know sort of develops in Mm. parallel but if we if we're working if we're waiting for a sort of perfect data and tech landscape to be working working with we're going to be waiting indefinitely frankly yeah that's one of the good things if you ever get a chance to work for a startup it's always great fun because they've got Mm. a blank piece of paper and you can kind of build it from scratch which is delightful (laughs) i think the other one i'm throwing there is kpis KPIs mm-hmm. not being aligned uh, so that they're not joined up. I've told this story a million times, but working on a bank in Australia, working f- the consumer finance team, and mm. it was for a personal loan. And the, basically they paid off their personal loan and the consumer finance team wanted them to take out another loan mm-hmm. because their targets were number of loans. I'm like, well, a customer who's just taken out a personal loan is going to take out another 
like the holistic viewer is looking at that and going, okay, well now they've got some more disposable income. Maybe we should sell them a savings product or we should sell mm-hmm, them mm-hmm. another customer. But because their KPIs were what they were, you end up just kind of in this non-optimal cycle. You mentioned technology, mm-hmm. and this happens in CRM, CX, the whole nine yards. Uh, and I'm not asking you about specific tech platforms, but mm-hmm. when people are investing in tech, what do you see as the biggest sort of pitfalls they that, that brands fall into when they're looking at buying tech that supports things like CX or, or CRM, yeah. that kind of stuff? Yeah. Do you know, I, I still think probably about 80 90% of the pitch briefs we respond to as an agency come about because a client's just made a really significant investment in a tech stack and, um, you know, is, is probably using it to about 2% of its capabilities. Yeah. <laughs> and so come to us and say, you know, kind of help us, help us realize this opportunity, helps, helps demonstrate return on investment right back to the business. Um, so it's, yeah, that's it, a very sort of hot, relevant topic. Um, I think the key thing for me is that you don't allow the technology tail to wag the customer experience dog, if that makes sense. So, yep. you know, yes, if you've made that investment, yes, you want to kind of show off and show that you're using it, using your tech to its to its full capabilities. But I I really am not a massive fan of fan of like, you know, we've got some cool tech stuff, let's go do it. Or, you know, kind of tech for tech's sake. I think what I would really encourage clients to do is to start with what is the desired future state customer experience and then work back from that point. What is the technology that we need to make that mm. experience true, not the other way around? Yes. Yeah, I think I think a lot of people will see shiny bells and whistles. Yeah. Oh, that's maybe a bit uh, condescending, but maybe they're they're thinking, okay, wow, look at all these amazing things that this thing can do. Great, I'm in. Spend mm. a million, you know, how much money it is, and then they think, oh, it's that old phrase, isn't it? I've got a Ferrari, but I've not no petrol to put in it, or whatever. Yeah, you must have yeah. heard that one. That's been going yes. around for ages. I think yeah. that point about strategy first is really really important, especially when you talk about something that's joined up mm. as a CX thing, like. Absolutely, absolutely support that. Okay, well, that's been a really interesting conversation. We do have one other question okay. to ask. So uh, we have, I'm sure you've heard of Room 101. Yes. There, and <laughs> we have here, everybody hates your brand, our very own sort of marketing slash business Room 101. We've had all sorts of stuff. Uh, people saying, uh, for example, like not the right cultural fit. That was a recruiter who said that. He hates the <laughs> phrase "not the right cultural fit" because he knows what it means. But the the lack of diversity in agencies is kind of like, well, it's kind of supporting that kind of idea. Mm-hmm, We've mm-hmm. had all sorts of people throwing in ideas around what should go into um, into marketing room one hundred and one. So you now have the chance to throw something that you hate about marketing or agencies or whatever it might be into marketing room 101 uh, to live, live in purgatory for all of eternity what are you putting in marketing <laughs> everybody hates your brand room 101 uh well this might be a little bit controversial especially Ooh. from someone who says that you know they they love data and insights customer satisfaction surveys Ooh, um, good one. they are a massive massive bugbear for me i think when you ask for a customer's feedback you really impose on their time and I think as an industry I'm not saying we should never ask but I think we need to get much better at asking Mm. um we do such a bad job of asking today I mean I worked on one client at one point who following a customer transacting with the brand they would get sent I can't remember it was either four or five customer satisfaction surveys or MPS surveys from various different bits of the organization and I just it's so 
it's so rude. Um, I, they, they can be a really, really useful source of insight. So I'm not saying mm-hmm. don't do them, but I think we just, we need to get really much better at doing them. You know, thinking about when you're asking a customer for their feedback, how are we helping a customer feel feel value in exchange for that feedback? And that's not about some sort of random competition mechanic for a gift voucher I never mm. wanted in the first place. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I think you risk massively overstating the role of your brand or your product in a customer's lives. Like a lot of the time, customers are not thinking about this stuff. They don't want to think about this stuff as long as it sort of functions and does what it says on the tin. Like I don't really want to fill in a 20 question survey about, you know, how satisfied I am with my latest brand of kitchen roll. And then do you actually need to ask those 20 questions? Like fundamentally, what are you going to do differently as a result of those questions that you're asking Mm. and only ask for the stuff that you need um and then also if you're going to ask you have to be prepared to respond to that insight as well right so how can we really demonstrate to customers that we're doing stuff differently as a result of what we've told them it's not just some massive kind of tick box Mm. exercise i'm not i'm not a religious man at all but i will say amen to that because i think (laughs) that because usually those surveys are couched in the sense of whether it's even if it's a customer survey or it's a satisfaction survey or it's like a Hey, tell us what you're interested in, you know, from a CRM perspective, and we'll, and we'll tailor our experience. Mm. Most most don't. It just disappears into a you know data thing somewhere. So so that idea of yet yeah, actually exhibiting that we are changing things as a result of what you said, so important. I think if we, if more brands did that, then those surveys would be more lit, you know, taken more listened to. Mm-hmm. Customers would be more happy to do them, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. So that is a that's a great one. And the other thing I was reading the other day about satisfaction and how much is it, you know, how is it, how much is it correlated to growth and retention and, and all that kind of stuff. There's quite a loose link mm. there from what I can tell what I've been reading. So I think that's a really valuable one. So I will lock that away. Um, Thank you. And everybody hates your brand. <laughs> Marketing Room 101. That's a really, really good one. Well, thank you so much for coming on and spending the time to, to talk to us today or talk to me today. It's been really, really interesting. Uh, so thank you very much for your time. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Well, I hope you enjoyed that interview with Lucy. Fascinating subject, fascinating interviewee. This is the first in a series of interviews we've got lined up for Everybody Hates Your Brand over the next few months. We're going to be covering all sorts of interesting topics, so please keep subscribing and please keep listening. And just remember, take great, great care and be vigilant. Mm